listening to Satellite Sisters Talk TV. This is our weekly recap of the CBS drama Madam Secretary, starring Taya Leone and Tim Daly. I'm Leanne Dolan in Los Angeles. I'm here with my sister, Julie Dolan, who is in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Julie, we have two episodes to cover this week because we took a week off for the holidays, didn't we? Right, right. We well, we had Thanksgiving, Leanne. We yeah. were cooking turkeys, stuffing the works. Yeah. So- we weren't able to watch as much TV as we liked, but we've caught up, right? No, especially me, because I was in a place where the cable was out. So oh. uh, it was not... Oh, that's our sister Sheila calling. I'm going to decline. <laughs> I decline. Uh, that's right. We have three other sisters. <laughs> that's one. the one we just declined. She uh, She's no longer on our other podcast, uh, but we love her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't say it like that. That'll start a rumor. But, um, no, no, no. I don't mean to. I don't okay. mean to. All right, so we're going to cover episode 507 and then uh, 508 in depth. So a little mini recap of the one from two weeks ago. That's about That was about the surrogate moms that were taken into custody in Laos. And, uh, but then we're going to do the full recap for this week's episode, which was called The Courage to Continue. I, I believe yes. it should have been called The Courage to Appear on TV with skin cancer. <laughs> All right. We have to get to the bottom yeah. of that. I have yeah. done a little investigative reporting on that storyline for us sisters. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. But first, a uh, couple of things. Uh, I want to acknowledge uh, Cassie, who is out there working as our investigative reporter. She is a Madam Secretary fan, and she has often given us tidbits from the news. We ask hypothetical questions on a recap Cassie does the deep dive and she finds the answer. So, Julie, for two years, we've been wondering, what is the deal with the black bra under white shirts? What grown woman? And in the Courage to Continue episode, Leanne, it was front and center (laughs) with that gaping white, you know, unironed silk blouse of uh, Madam Secretary's. So, yes, the black bra is a central plot line on Madam Secretary. So, investigative reporter Cassie... uh, found a Tumblr where costume designer Amy Roth answered that exact question. Someone said, why does Elizabeth keep wearing dark bras under sheer white blouses in every episode? This is fashion 101. And uh, Amy Roth, costume designer, responded, I'm glad you noticed. Your concerns are worth looking into because any time in our life we allow external influences to quash our conscious personal choices is an opportunity to lose ourselves in someone else's idea of right and good. I don't really know what that means, Julie, but here's the answer we were looking for. (laughs) Madam Secretary has breasts. The future is female. I, well, I agree with the last statement. The future is free female. I'm very, I'm very pro female, Leanne. Yes. But I, I think there has to be just a storyline attached to why she's wearing a black bra. Okay. Perhaps it was her dead mother's bra. I don't know. Perhaps it was issued to her when she was a young CIA agent. Perhaps it was given to her by some fallen soldier. I don't know. But there has to be some other reason than she has breasts, Liam. Well, not according to the costume designer. Julie, I think you're the external influences trying to quash our conscious personal choices. (laughs) Well, it is sort of quashing my consciousness as I watch the show, okay? And uh, dear, uh, dear Amy, I would say also try to get some shirts that fit Madam Secretary a little better. There should be no gaping, okay? There's right. no gaping as Madam Secretary. 
<laughs> okay. I mean, it'll be interesting to see when they move into the presidential run if they, they carry on with this. But Madam Secretary has breasts. The future is female. That okay. is Cassie. We thank you for thank your you, hard Cassie. work. We thank, thank you for your you. hard work. All right. So in this in this episode five oh seven, that's fifth season, seventh episode. That's how we do this. Uh, I think the thing that stood out for me was Henry has now just become a take your husband to work day situation. <laughs> I mean, what does he do anymore? I don't know, Leanne. He's like a giant potted plant. Okay, what? You're right. I, I don't know what he's doing in that office. I mean, I, you know how much I complained when he was heading up SEAL Team Zero. You right. know, I felt he was way over his head there. Uh, but this, I don't. I just don't get it, Leanne. I mean... <laughs> Just sort of wandering around in the White House, wandering around with Madam Secretary, providing ethical dilemmas for people to consider. At one scene in that 507 episode, like the CIA guy comes in and says, thanks for fitting me into your busy schedule. I'm like, busy schedule? He's sitting in his office reading a leather-bound book. I mean, (laughs) all right. I, I, I mean... I I don't know anything but this. I understand like sometimes as a writer, you have to, I'm a writer for those of you who don't know. So as a writer, you have to find solutions where the main characters are all in the same room together. You know, it just makes it easier to carry on these bigger storylines. So that's why you see a lot of, you know, things like this dovetailing in television or in screenwriting. Like you have to create reasons for the characters to be in the same room. They can't just keep running into each other at the grocery store, for instance. But this, I I don't understand. And then the other note from 507 is uh, Dimitri making that much needed guest appearance stuck in Alaska. That little exchange of letters between Dimitri and Stevie just saved the whole episode for me. I I mean, it really was the only reason to watch the episode. I'm sorry to say that but yes i am happy dimitri's back i am i hope they expand that uh, bring him back from alaska <laughs> bring him into the sun the warmth of dc so that he and uh, stevie can renew their uh their love affair that yes would, that would be great which we learned great. was a real love affair despite henry's dismissal of it like they really did care for each other so great to see him back hair looking good dimitri solid All right, uh, so let's move on to this week's episode, The Courage to Continue, episode eight. Julie, let's discuss the bravery of Madam Secretary to appear on stage with her skin cancer. Um, Yes, that was good. Do you think those uh, were real, or do you think... Well, okay, Leon, I I was very confused. At first, I was like... Did you know? Did I miss an? Uh, did I miss a scene where she was knocked out by some foreign leader, and that's why she has the scars on her face? But then uh, that it was re- revealed that she had basal cell um, skin cancer, and she had the skin cancer removed. So she had a number of gashes on her forehead and face. And good for her for appearing with those gashes, because guess what? In real life, you know, people who have skin cancer, you, you know, that's quite frequent. And uh, it's nothing to be, you know, and people sometimes don't want to get their skin ch- cancer checked or to get some strange growth checked because they're afraid it might be skin cancer or they don't want their face smart. So good for Taya Leone for doing that. Um, I don't know whether she actually has basal cell uh, uh, skin cancer, but her father did, Leon. That's oh. the deep research that I did for oh, you okay. and for this podcast, that indeed her father had a number of basal cell uh, 
uh, skin cancers. So it is, you know, one of the most, it is skin cancer is the most common form of cancer. So it is something that we all need to be vigilant about. And at the end of the show, they did post, they did post information uh, uh, from the American Cancer uh, Society about um, skin cancer. But I, I still was a little bit confused about whether Taya Leone, the actress, has it, whether she's it's a health risk for her, whether there's some ongoing health risk that we need to be concerned about that way, because the oh. theme, one of the themes of this show uh, was that, that Bess and Henry were doing, of all things, estate planning. OK, yeah. and Henry, if it was bad enough last week when he's sitting there with the leather book. Yeah. This week, he's taken up estate planning. Perhaps he's going to get a degree in actuarial science land or become a certified public uh, accountant or something. I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, I describe that as a throwaway storyline. I didn't even understand it. Um, but maybe Cassie can look into the skin cancer thing. <laughs> so can task her uh, to see if the actress really had it in real life. Uh, all right. Here are the three storylines. We had the president-elect from Haiti who appears to be living at the State Department. Like he yes. comes to the U.S. for meetings and then, uh-oh, the old president won't leave. So then there's an international crisis. Storyline two, Blake needs a new job. Remember, Madam Secretary said, I'm going to fire you. You need to aim higher. But Blake does not want to leave his family, and he is able to sing in the opening scene, uh, excellent David Bowie song. And then we have this storyline about where Henry and Bess will be buried that I just didn't understand at all. Um, well, see, again, with the skin cancer linking about, you know, yeah. they were thinking about their death, then I thought about that. But I'm going to say, as as stupid as I thought that third storyline was, yeah. I think the last scene was absolutely beautiful and touching, and we'll talk about that. Oh, little... okay. All right. Okay? Fine. All right, so let's talk about the main storyline, which was this new Haitian president. And uh, he arrives. He, he's the, the best hope Haiti's had in years for running uh, a real democracy, you know, not getting caught up in corruption, not getting caught up in all kinds of nefarious behavior by the leadership. Uh, first of all, he's a super handsome guy. Yes, so I was just... going to say he's young, super duper handsome, yeah. you know, and he is the great hope for um, Haiti, democratically elected. You know, the young, the young guy, this is you know, going to really be a turning point for that country. And they've got the old despot who's not who's not willing to leave. Right. right. And he is that super silky smooth Haitian accent, which Ooh, is yeah, yes. very charming. He, he was he was very charming. I, I didn't I, I wasn't in any rush to have him leave uh, the State Department. No, but he did appear to be just living there because once <laughs> the old president uh, decides, you know, he, he's going to stay, then there are some that then he starts killing people in Haiti. It's not safe for the new president to go back. So he's struggling with this idea of accepting U.S. aid. He wants to be a no strings attached president. He doesn't want to do what everybody else has done. And he wants to rush back into the fight. But they're like, we need you. You are more important alive than killed at the airport. Uh, so then they start seizing assets and uh, putting in all sorts of international condemnations and international pressure. Uh, Julie, why why are the why is the oligarchs, why were they mentioned? I, I got a little lost in this storyline. Okay, they had a lot of their money in okay. Haiti. That was okay. it. I mean, that they, you know, they were looking for places to park, you know, their large bank accounts. Okay. So, 
that so that's, was yeah. That was what it was. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was that simple, but then I thought maybe I missed something. No. Uh, so long story short, none of the pressure, none of the condemnations, the oligarchs aren't going to do anything to help the U.S. So nothing's working. So behind Bess's back, uh, the president of the United States and the Department of Defense decides to invade Haiti. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it. I mean, it's, you know, plan A is is diplomacy or maybe plan A is military option. Plan B is diplomacy. So this was a good storyline for, you know, for diplomacy triumphing over, you know, a military option because they had the plans. They were going to go in. They were going to sort of seize this old despot, drag them out there. But there were going to be a lot of civilian casualties. And Beth Beth didn't want anything to do with this. Right. And. And as a protection for her presidential run, they didn't tell her because President Dalton didn't want her to be responsible for this decision. So there was a little bit of protectionism going on. They were trying to, you know, shield her from this decision in case it turned out horribly wrong and she's trying to make this presidential run. But Bess is like, listen, I can't work for this administration if I'm too concerned about the next. And I, I thought that was a good scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now they have to find an easy exit for this despotic president. Uh, it's a golden parachute. They're going to send him to, um, uh, to Monaco. Monaco. Yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. And at it's first, that- I love that scene where the, like, this is the ambassador, U.S. The ambassador, the Monaco ambassador to the U.S. is like, we are sick and tired of taking all these despots <laughs> from around the world. You know, every time they've got some, some loser leader that needs to, you know, you know, get out of a country, they park them in Monaco, right? Right. That's like she, she, she put the hammer down on Monaco and said, you have to take him. Right. So, uh, so cause she was, she's gotten her 48 hours from Conrad to find a diplomatic solution before the Marines go in. So this Monaco thing happens, but then this is where the two storylines story deadline. Blake is struggling to find a new job in the administration. He just is – he doesn't think he's qualified for anything more than this great job as the assistant that he does. He doesn't think he can be an advisor. But he's sitting in on this meeting with a whole bunch of people and all of a sudden he realizes, I, I know how we can pressure – put the pressure on and get this done – all those rich Americans who have bank accounts there. And, and people are like, wait, what? How do you know this? And then he says, because I'm part of the Harvard Assistance Mafia. That made me laugh. That yeah, that laugh. was pretty good. That, yeah. I, and I, I, I bet that's probably true, that there's a whole uh, whole association of Harvard grads yes. working as executive assistants for very powerful people and very wealthy people around the world. So Blake, it turns out, has the answer that not only do Russian oligarchs have money in in Haiti, that rich Americans have also stashed a bunch of money in Haiti. And Blake has a list of names, and they're going to put pressure on these people to get the president out. And then the president-elect gains the support of the military, and it looks like the diplomatic solutions work. There is a, there is an easy transition. So even though it makes everybody unhappy that this horrible despot who killed, uh, you know, a speechwriter's dad and many civilians, he, he, he's going to be living the high life in Monaco. Uh, sometimes that's the way things work. And that's like a tough lesson for the new president right. to learn. Right. You know, and that he, to follow the theme of this episode, has the courage to continue. And that sometimes he has to rise above his own principles in order to really help the people, help the Haitian people. 
Right. And then there's that nice speech at the end about the Louisiana Purchase, which I, I thought that was an excellent little bit of history lesson. Were, were you aware of that, Leanne? Not, I mean, I was aware of the Louisiana Purchase, but not the Haiti thing. None, none of I, that. I wasn't either. I yeah. mean, yes, I yes, I heard of the Louisiana Purchase, yes. But yeah, that it was the really the uprising in Haiti that was putting so much pressure on the country of France that they had to like sell this track of land they had in order to raise some cash to keep fighting, um, you know, keep putting down the up, uh, uprising in Haiti. Wow. Yeah. So the slave, Very slave uprising. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I thought that was a really nice scene. There were, there were a lot of nice scenes in this episode. They actually, it's just a really, this was a, and what a, did you think about the, the Haitian speech writer slash uh, grammar guru? Okay, so then we have this little tiny sub storyline where this Haitian speechwriter is going to shadow Matt around. Uh, and Matt thinks he's a mentor, but then the guy becomes like the grammar police on him. I call him Mr. Bowtie Budinsky. Like he just, you know, <laughs> he he just keeps correct. First, he's, uh, you know, soothes Matt's ego to get in the door. And then he starts saying, but you do this and this is turgid and you split your infinitives and this and that. And in the meantime, his dad is killed in the uprising in the 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 put down in Haiti and and I thought that was kind of a weird storyline I didn't really understand it to be honest but uh he was a nice character and maybe there will be some follow up there and and then at the end there's this very nice gesture where Matt gets a essentially a full bright scholarship named in his his father's name but no, that I, was pretty good work by Matt I was impressed yes. that he would have enough clout to get uh, a scholarship named for this Haitian speechwriter's father. But uh, nonetheless, it was lovely. Yes. Yeah. So I, I didn't really under, you know, understand it, but I could see writers, you know, writers hate when other people correct their work. So it was, you know, there was a chance for the people, the show writers to actually make commentary on people correcting their work. And I, I agree. You can uh, relate to that. Please. I can relate to that. I can relate to the feeling of comeuppance when people tell you, you know what you should have written? Oh, okay. <laughs> Why don't you go do that? Okay. Yeah. I, I found this one weird line in the 100,000 word novel you wrote. You should have written it this way. Okay. Thanks. Uh, all right. And then we have this third storyline, where will Henry and Bess be buried? And... It just, uh, it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere to me and was introduced sort of late in the proceedings. So I didn't expect it to be the third main storyline. Um, but there's a question, well, should they be buried in Arlington? And they're both eligible, but we learned that Arlington is filling up. And if they want to get on the list, they have to do it now. And so they want to meet with the kids because the real idea is like, well, where will the kids go? It's really, we'll be dead. So where will the kids go to remember us? And so they have a family meeting, which was a funny scene, I thought. Yeah. Uh, that, I liked that part of it. Yeah, it was strangely. And I felt like the only reason that they introduced this, <laughs> well, they gave Henry a job, estate planning. Okay. Yeah. Which, okay, as we've talked they really need to put him back in action. He's just like wandering around the yeah. house. You know, that is not enough for him to do. Okay. Uh, he just can't stay engaged that way. They have to work up another plot line. But I think they really did this because they wanted to provide more of Bess's backstory. Now, we know that uh, Bess has a brother, but th that her parents were killed in a car accident. Correct? Yes. And that... You know, it was very traumatic and that, uh, you know, at a very young age, she had to take care of herself and her brother. 
but that's that's about all we know. But in this scene, because we find out that Beth Bess is just stalling, she doesn't want to make a decision about Arlington or not Arlington, and uh, and in fact, she they miss the deadline, so they can cannot be buried in Arlington, and and Henry really presses her, and it's because of her fear, all of her, you know emotion around the death of her parents that she lost her loved ones her parents and she hates to think about losing losing anyone else in her life that she loves and so she doesn't want to do any of the planning you know pick a burial space in fact she's never been to her parents gravesite right and i think in that one scene when she's explaining this to henry she's very vulnerable it seemed, you know, I thought it was sort of beautiful. I love that part of it. I didn't like Henry's speech about faith or religion. I thought that was like, you're a professor of religion and that's the best you've got. But not <laughs> well, the vision of hen- of heaven that Henry described, which is basically I'm somewhere we're going to find each other where all your favorite people are after you die. Julie, that is what the last episode of Lost was about. <laughs> that That is okay. it. And I was on board with that. I know a lot of people didn't like the last episode of Lost, but that's what they like. Oh, we all just meet up on the other side in this one place. So we're all together because we love each other. I I was like, okay, I'm on board with that. And when he described that, I was like, oh, my God, that's the last episode of Lost. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I know. Again, he's just uh, really. We just got. We got to put. We've got to put Henry back to work. Lane. Yeah. That is our new campaign. Yeah. All right. But anyway, I did think that that was sort of uh, that that Bess was very vulnerable and it was well acted and it was a touching scene and I, and so I forgave them the writers for the stupid storyline okay. about estate planning <laughs> because it led to this nice scene and and the final scene is she takes her whole family to visit her parents' gravesite. And that's, you know, for anyone who's lost a loved one right. and visited a gravesite, it's uh, it's a very touching, emotional thing. And I thought they did that. They did a beautiful job with that. Yeah, I was actually surprised that was the last scene. Like, I thought Henry's Henry's monologue <laughs> was the wrap on it. And then they cut to that scene. I was I was surprised. That, that surprised me. So, um so that's, yeah, that's it. And then there was the message about skin cancer. So it wasn't a super uplifting episode, but no. we do know that Blake is going to stay in the family. He does get, I, I feel like we sort of skipped over that. He does get the job as the advisor. So he, I'm excited to see who comes in as the new assistant. Yes, I am too. I think this was, it was great for Blake in this episode. As you said at the beginning, I loved him rocking out and dancing and singing in that opening scene. He was just adorable in all of his, you know, insecurity about trying to interview, uh, you know, for um, a higher level job. And that it was just great that he got the higher level job and he'll be on the team. And you know he'll do a good job. Right. So that's exciting for him. So, yeah, he's going to have a little bit more to do. And someone else will be meeting her at the elevator every morning with her coffee and muffins. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, okay. So that wraps that episode. Julie, binders full of blouses. Um, What do you got? Okay. Okay, once again, we have the black bra controversy. It is just front and center in this episode. So, okay, she's wearing the black bra, but now she's wearing an untucked, wrinkled uh, silk blouse. I don't get that. Now, I guess it's they are signaling to us, the costume designers, that Bess is very hardworking and she doesn't have time to either get a shirt that 
fits so it doesn't gape open and we can see the black bra or she doesn't have time to iron her own blouses or she's been in her blouse so long of course they're wrinkled and we know this as we're as working women that yes if you wear a silk blouse for more than two minutes you're going to end up looking wrinkled but yeah but she's best and she's the secretary of state and it's tv <laughs> i want to see an iron shirt land <laughs> this right <laughs> Uh, you feel much more strongly about ironing than I do. So as a, as someone who never irons, I can't condemn others for not ironing. That would be the pot calling the kettle black. But you iron, Julie. You're iron. Yes, you're. An I'm, I like I like an iron shirt. Okay, so that uh, that was that is just that. I mean that stood out uh, this week um, in her costumes. I did love the lariat necklace with the black shirt that she wore in one scene. I thought that was, uh, that was very nice. And again, the black bra with a black shirt, very appropriate, Madam Secretary. No complaints for me (laughs) about that. Okay. And that, but my favorite outfit of the episode had to be the Daisy in that black mini dress with the orange cummerbund kind of thing in the middle there. I thought that was really smashing. I thought that, I'll be honest, because Washington is a very conservative town, um, yes. I thought it was a little short. I thought both of Daisy's dresses were a little bit short, but she looked fantastic. She is back after the baby. She looked like she was going to go clubbing at lunch in that first leg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then she had that animal print skirt on yeah. in the last, uh, last scene, which was also pretty hot. Also short, yeah. So good for Daisy. Great. She's out there. She's putting it out there. She's back. Like in reality, Washington's super conservative. But again, you're on TV and and you look like Daisy. Go ahead and wear that outfit. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was she looked great. Mm-hmm. She looked great. Yeah, that was it. Nothing really. Nothing else happening. I mean, they need a black tie event. I, I hope know. they go to the White House Christmas party or something. What <laughs> something? I know. I want Bess out of those wrinkled shirts and sweaters into something snappy, more dresses, more formal wear. Come on. All right. So uh, that's that about wraps it for this week. Julie, we, we, we know you are going to Brooklyn next week, as, uh, but you're, we're, you're committed to doing the show. So we're going to figure yes. out how to yeah, Yes, how yeah, to we, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to do the show yeah. next week. Uh, I'm going to a place where they have cable TV later. Okay. So <laughs> I will be able to see the episode. In that's, full. That's Comcastic. Uh, so, <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Anything else we should mention this week on Satellite Sisters? Um, you have some exciting news that you reveal on the, yes, on I the, do. Yes. On the big show yeah. this week. We also explain a couple of strategies to get you through the holidays without um, without gaining your weight in chocolate toffee and including fitness snacking. So you're going to want Fitness snacking. You really want to get to the bottom of this. And once you do, it's going to be really disappointing because yeah. it's not what you think. <laughs> I think it is. I'm still crushed, Leanne, from what you told me yesterday about fitness set snacking. And then, Julie, you read Michelle Obama's new book. So you reviewed it. I loved that it. And I have a nice system. review. I have some recommendations about that. And then I saw a terrible Netflix movie that I want to uh, be sure to alert people to. <laughs> okay. All right. So that is happening on Satellite Sisters this week. If you have not listened to our regular show, we encourage you to do so. It's 
it's it's this show, but about everything, not just Madam Secretary. So, and our sister Liz joins us on a weekly basis, and occasionally we have guests, and we cover a lot of topics. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. That you can find at any podcast platform that you're listening to this show on. All right, Jill, have a fantastic week. I will. I will, and you be sure to call Sheila back. Okay? I will. I'm gonna call. <laughs> Uh, so call her sister Sheila back. Okay. Find out what's up with her. Leanne, you have a good week, and we'll talk about Madam Secretary next week right, right. here. Don't forget, call your satellite sister. 